Yo, yo, yo. Another week, another fight podcast. As always, it's your boy, Mayron, here with the illustrious Dave. How you doing, man? Oh, uh, you know, I'm all right. <laughs> it's been a weekend, man. It's been yeah. a very interesting weekend of fights. Like, yeah, I think Good fights, great fights. Great fights. And I think most of our picks got reversed, mm-hmm. like you and I, which isn't a bad thing. This actually makes it all the more exciting and we're all the more happy. I think it's nice that neither of us are too attached to any fandom to recognize, uh, to recognize the beauty in like upsets in a lot of ways, you know, I I think a lot of people get caught up in being fans of one side or the other and they, they don't respect the, the beauty and grace that it takes to come up and beat the person who has the, the favorite, you know, side of things, right. Both on MMA and boxing. I'm not sure if I'm making sense or not. No, I, I understand. I think people understand too. Yeah, so it's it's been a weekend of fights. I think um I think we should start with the boxing to to be honest because I think the, that card was incredibly exciting and there's a number of fights we uh, want to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one did you want to start with? Uh, you want to go big or you want to start at the bottom? Let's start at the bottom. Okay. Um. So to open up the main event, the main event card, we had uh, Edgar Berlanga. Um. 14 and 0, 14 knockouts, 14 first round knockouts. And he was facing, um, I forgot his first name, last name is Bellows. He's a uh, Floyd Mayweather fighter. Um, I believe he was like 20 and 5 and 3. Yeah, like he was, yeah, he was 25 um, and 3. Never been knocked out. And um, lo and behold, Edgar Belonga is now 15 and 0 with 15 knockouts and 15 first round knockouts. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty crazy. Actually, it was a great. Um, it was a great, like, everyone was like, yeah, I can't wait to see this guy get some rounds, right? Everyone yeah. said that, like, I can't wait to see this guy get some rounds. I can't wait to see this guy get some rounds. It's like, <laughs> it like a knock on wood situation. <laughs> and then immediately in the first round, he just goes in and dominates. We know nothing about Berlongo. We just know that he hits really hard. And he has it, good technique behind his punches. Well, for the, for the limited amount of time that we've seen, yes. Um, yeah, and you know, uh, I've been following him for a little bit. I think I started following him when he was maybe like 11 and 0. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I just missed this completely or not, but I did not know he was trained by Andre Rozier. Um, but seeing that kind of gave me a little bit more hope that he probably is very skilled. Because I don't think he has a fighter that is not skilled in his camp. And it's, it's you don't, you know, win 14 fights by first round knockout without having skill you know you can't just be like it's really hard yeah i mean you know there's some you know (laughs) there's some there's some matchmaking involved there but you know of course of course um but i think at least with the last two maybe three i don't think that there was the expectation that it was going to be first round knockouts and they just happened to have been do you think there's ever an expectation that this is going to be a first round knockout? Like it's like, I think it depends. So there's obviously other some... than Deontay Wilder. I don't know who <laughs> you expect that out of. <laughs> yeah. There's obviously some marketing involved there. There it's is. Like, oh, look at this killer. We got, he's has 15 wins all by knockout and all by first round knockout. There's like some marketability there, but um, I don't know. It was interesting. I was watching his post-fight interview, like the like post-card, mm-hmm. and he was saying that um, 
he was really beating himself up because he was supposed to throw this certain combination that oh, yeah, Rogier yeah. were working on. And like Rogier made him do push-ups. The push-ups, after. yeah. After every fight, he does push-ups, apparently. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to see. I think he I want to see him step up a little more. Um, but I think all the signs kind of point towards him having, you know, a good head on his shoulders, like he has a good camp. Um, but you know, I, I just gotta see. I have I have two names that I think he should fight next. Um, we I don't know if we talked about the first one on the podcast or aside, but Clay Collard. Even though I think Clay might be a little too small for him. Um, and then there's um, Vaughn Alexander, who is Devin Alexander's brother. Oh, cool. Um, he's a very much like a journeyman, but he's also like a guy that you throw at prospects to see how good they are because he's very durable. He's very rugged. He never stops coming forward. He's never been stopped. He he's, lost. Yeah. he's lost a lot, but he's never been stopped. And he's beat some guys he beat um one of my favorite prospects actually money powell the fourth he beat him last year so i'm interested to see where they go with that you mentioned clay collard on the podcast before because of his time in mma and fighting max holloway mm-hmm. and uh you're mentioning that he's also a prospect stopper so i think both those uh would be interesting because clearly he's a prospect that needs needs a test and you know he was beating himself up about that combination it's not like he ever got a chance to throw it there was nowhere yeah. in the no he said the- he said in the interview there was the opening was there for me to throw that combination rosier told me to throw the combination but he's just like i just saw i hit him with the jab <laughs> bust his eye open and you know i just you know, like, i saw like, blood and i just <laughs> went for it i'm about to say like i feel like that's what you're supposed to do you know but i don't know you're, you're right you're right it was an amazing fight by him though it, i think this performance and really, all of his performances thus far of just him, you know, dominating are very, very interesting to watch. We'll see who can give him a second round. Yeah. Because <laughs> we'd, we'd love to know whether or not he can continue to do this over mm-hmm. the course of 12 rounds. Well, who knows? Yeah. Um, so next, we want to talk about Barboza. Yeah, so Barboza fought um, Alex Salcedo. Salcedo and Barboza, yeah. yeah. This was uh, a really good fight. Um, yeah. But I think, I think it was a situation where... And I'll just give my, my, my take real quick on this. Barboza did really well the entire fight, but Salcedo was a live dog. Every, this is where it becomes hard to judge fights, right? Because I think Barboza won the majority of the rounds, but he didn't win them by a lot. So it's like you're going to go back and look at the scorecard to see, like, oh, he won every round, like, or most of them, right? So who cares? This wasn't a fight. But it's like that 10-9 is not a great way. And this will come back into play later. Is not a great way to remember a round. And I'm not sure if the scoring system can ever reflect that accurately because it, it's a winner-take-all system. Like, if you win the round, you win the round. It doesn't matter if you dominated the round or, like, you know, just right. won it by a hair's breadth. But I, I think this was a great fight that Salcedo did really well in, but Barboza was just better. Yeah, it was a – you know, we talked about this fight before um, offline, and I was saying it was very much like a – boxer versus like brawler yep. situation i was like this could be fight of the night just because of that um i was i had picked so not Salcedo. i had picked barboza to win based on the fact that if he could take the heat i think that he was the better boxer of the two of them and he would outbox Salcedo. and for the most part i think that he did outbox him 
Um, but Salcedo did a lot of really good work with a lot of sustained pressure. He did get a knockdown too that ended up getting reviewed. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really good fight. I think Barboza put him in, put himself in position for a title shot at some point. He had the WBO international title. Um, the WBO already has a mandatory set for their 140 title. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen after Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez unify all four belts. So um, he's probably the next after that mandatory, but still he's in a good position to get a title shot soon. It's uh yeah, I think, yes, you're right. He's in a good position and he, he definitely put on the performance to earn it. Mm-hmm. And this would have been fight of the night, if not for this next fight that we're about to talk about, I, yeah. I think, right. Yeah. I think this would have been fight of the night had uh, we not had a new unified what, lightweight champion. Undisputed. Undisputed. Undisputed yeah. lightweight champion in Lopez and TFM Lopez. Yeah. Why don't you uh why don't you take us through the fight, like what you saw and what you thought was was worth noting? And I'll and I'll do the same when when you're done. Um so you know, we had talked about uh well I had talked about that I thought this was gonna be like a Floyd Canelo kind of situation where I thought Lomachenko mm-hmm. was going to outbox him. And it would be like a learning experience for Team Fimo Lopez. But, you know, I was very much wrong. And, you know, I'm not even mad about being wrong because Teofimo Lopez put on, I mean, I can't even say the best performance. It is the best performance of his career, but his career is only 15 fights. So that's kind of odd to say. But, but it, he is put on, it is his best by yeah, far. But, like, I... I don't really have words for it. He did an incredible job. That Those first seven rounds were almost flawless. Like, he was outboxing arguably the best boxer on the planet for seven rounds straight. Maybe six. He might have been. He might have lost the second round. But for the most part, seven rounds straight of pure, utter dominance. Um, his jab, His jab looked better than I've ever seen it. And that was basically the jab. He had his um, left jab, right hook to the body, left hook to the body. That was basically keeping Lomachenko guessing the whole time because he couldn't figure out a way to get inside into range without either getting hit with the jab or hit with the body shot. And he was basically controlling the fight for that whole first six or seven rounds. But, you know, Lomachenko is a fucking dog. And, you know, I, I like I said before, I came out of this fight an even bigger fan of Lomachenko because we've never seen him that perplexed before. And, you know, he just came out in that eighth round. He was just like, fuck it. I'm going for broke. And I thought he won rounds eight through 11. Yeah, I'm about to say he won, four, he won four straight rounds. Yeah. And, you know, that 10th and 11th round, that was some of the best work I've seen from Lomachenko just – because of the situation that he was in. Like, he was down on the cards. He probably already lost the fight. And, you know, he that 11th round, I thought I almost thought Teofimo Lopez was done. Yeah, he looked like it because he, yeah. he, was, getting, he was getting beat. Like, but, he was getting beat in that 11th he, round. That 12th round was better than the first seven. Because he, he had – I wouldn't say he had everything on the line, but he had a lot – he, he could have – Based on the judges' cards, he could have just cruised that round and won the decision. But he didn't know that, and he fought like he didn't know that. He tried to get him, he tried to get him out of there, and he dominated Lomachenko in that twelfth round. And 
you know, he won the decision. And, you know, he's undisputed now. And I, like I said before, I am a huge Lomachenko fan. I was a huge Teofimo Lopez fan too. So, you know, even though Lomachenko lost, like, I'm not, I'm not upset about it at all because, you know, one, Lomachenko, he ended up, you know, redeeming himself from the first half of the fight. And Teofimo Lopez put on a performance that, you know, maybe two people that I saw said that he could do. So. So I agree on a lot of points. I first of all agree on the point that uh, Lopez's jab was amazing. I definitely agree on the point that this was one of the most inspired performances by uh, Loma in the last, in the latter half of the fight. And by, and it's so inspiring that it might be one of his best performances that we've seen um, in terms of just, you know, overcoming adversity and, and, and pushing through. I think that 12th round is one for the ages for Lopez, right? That is a career defining round mm-hmm. where you come in and you get a legend out of there because it's like, to him, he could have been on the line. Mm-hmm. So the way I saw the fight, I thought, you know, the first round obviously has to go to Lopez because that's all he did. But the second round I gave to Loma because Loma controlled it more and, and Loma was able to hit him and, and do what he needed to do. Past that point, you know, Lopez was winning, 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 winning until he wasn't. And I want to point out a couple things. There are weight classes in boxing for a reason. And it's very, very apparent. And this isn't like, I'm not like excusing anything. It's very apparent that Loma was significantly smaller than Lopez, right? Like you can tell from the size of their backs, even just standing in front of each other, like Lopez was significantly larger than Loma. And that's, you know, corroborated by the fact that after this, Lopez plans to go up and Loma plans to go down. Mm-hmm. And watching Loma in that first couple rounds realizing, oh shit, this guy is bigger. This guy is also way smarter and way faster than I thought he was, right? Because he had that moment. You saw him have that on his face. Uh, Lopez did a lot of smart things. Not only the jab, he controlled the outside foot, right? Which is like the most basic and fundamental thing you do when you're fighting a southpaw is you control that outside foot, right? If you can be on the outside of that foot, it sets it up for your right straight to go right down the middle. It sets it up so they can't see your hook. Um, it, it allows you to kind of cut off a lot of their, their, their ring footworkship. And in the beginning, at least, Lo, um, Lopez was doing that. He was very much controlling that. What was interesting is when Loma came back, Loma sort of, what I saw, and I was rewatching the fight this morning to confirm this, what Loma was doing is he was shifting actually away from the outside foot. So he was shifting even more inside and then floating back, right? So he would make a hard cut to come to the back foot of Lopez and then, and then, come, and then come back out, like float back out there so he, he could control it. And this was, him, this was while he's like dogging him, like just going towards him, doing what he had to do. Technically, this was a beautiful fight for both of them. And this was like, I think boxing expressed at the highest level in a lot of ways, on Lopez's part, especially in the first half, and on Loma's part in the second half. Um, it was so, it was exciting, right? I think this was the most exciting boxing match I've watched in a long time. Yeah, I agree. And, oh. Maybe the only one I can think of that was even close was probably Earl Spence and Sean Porter. Yeah. Yeah. 
But like other than that, like for and sure. And that was how many years ago? That was last year. It was just last year. That was just last year. It feels like pandemic time, man. Yeah. It makes it feel like a lot longer. But yeah, this I think is the most exciting fight since then, easily. And it it was it is a marker fight for Lopez. And I don't know, I don't know, does he defend those belts? Like does he fight Devin Haney? <laughs> I don't know. He's like, he's a bring on the double email champ. So, I mean, um, it sounds like from what his father says that he has wanted um, Tia Fimo to move up like a, a long time. He said like seven years ago, like he's wanted him to move up. So I don't foresee him sticking around lightweight except for like a big money fight. Um and to be completely honest with you, I understand that Devin Haney is a popular fighter amongst boxing fans. And I understand that Ryan Garcia is a popular fighter amongst everybody. But I don't see, obviously there's going to be money in that fight, but I don't see it being necessarily worth it for him to stick around that weight for those fights. The Haney fight is going to be there at 140. Exactly. The, I was Ryan, say, Gar- the Ryan Garcia fight is going to be there at 140. That's um, what I was going to say. I don't think all these that, guys at 140 anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the only person that I can think of that would be worth it is Tank. But I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even do that. I think, I think judging from that last performance, I think T-Fema might watch Tank. So I saw some wild tweets about how, like, Tank could beat Loma. And I'm just like, you're not understanding boxing. It's not even about that. It's just like, whether you think that or not, fine. But they're two completely, Tiafimo Lopez and Tank are completely different fighters. That was kind of my, that was was the point that I was getting to. It's like this style of fight, the reason that Loma's uh, getting hit right now by Lopez is because Tiafimo is outboxing him, not outpowering him, Right. right? Tank is a power puncher. And it's not that Tank doesn't have movement or Tank's not a, like a boxer. It's that Tank style revolves around power punching. What we saw last night did not revolve around power punching, which is what we thought Lopez was going to do, which is what makes this amazing, right? Had you told me a week ago, like, yes, Lopez is going to go over there and outbox, I would have thought, like, okay, based on his power, like, like, a, like a power style, he didn't use a power style last night. You know what I'm saying? He was yeah, I mean, he landed boxing. some powerful shots. Some of those no, no, body shots did. took him off of his feet. He, he did land some powerful shots, and I'm not disputing that. But what I'm saying is, like, he didn't do it based in the typical, like, brawler, like, oh, I'm just going to outpunch you style, you know? Yeah. He used movement to set that up. It was very much a – it actually kind of reminded me um, – I don't know how many people remember. I mean, the people who are listening to this podcast should know this, but, like, if anybody's not. Danny Garcia at 140. It was a very much like that to me, like that yeah. kind of style of fight, you know, counter punching, but also like being able to walk you down, landing like beautiful combinations. Yeah. It was very much reminiscence of Danny Garcia at 140 to me. But just going back to the tank thing, it's just like tank doesn't have, I'm not saying that tank can't beat Lomachenko. It could be a 50 50 fight. I don't, I don't know. But not the, based on that. The execute, right? yeah, the execution of the styles are completely different and also i am not a sports psychologist by any means but i don't know if tank has the mentality that teofimo lopez has i don't know about that i i do know 
my, my point in that was that I think there's this, uh, because Teofimo Lopez did what he did last night, there seems to be an influx of people who think that Loma isn't great, <laughs> you know, or like who are using this already as like, oh no, Loma didn't, could, would, would lose to this person or lose to this person. I'm like, no, no, let's look at his body of work and let's look at what actually happened in the fight last night. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I think Lomachenko moves down. He can beat anybody at 130 except for Shakur Stevenson. I think Shakur. A, I think Shakur yeah. gives him hell based off of based off of what gave him hell in this fight. Yes, I think Shakur gives him hell, and also, well, I was telling this to someone else who was talking about tankers beating him. I'm like, yo, there's nothing. The only thing weirder than a orthodox southpaw matchup is a southpaw southpaw matchup. Yeah, it gets really weird when that happens. So it does. It does. Um. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying like Loma would go in and destroy Tank. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying look at the fight for what it is, right? If, you, if you're looking at the fight for what it is, Teofimo Lopez didn't go in there and was like, I'm just going to, you know, barge right in to Loma and beat him up. He took him apart mm-hmm. in those – like he jabbed him. He controlled the outside foot. He was very, he was very technical while shooting really hard shots. Mm-hmm. You know, when he was going to the body, he was setting it up by going high, then going low, then going high again. Like, I want, basically, I want Lopez to get all his flowers for what he did. Mm-hmm. You know, in the same way I want Loma to be respected as the genius that he is. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, last thing I think on this topic, oh, another underrated thing that Teofimo Lopez did, he occupied Lomachenko's hands. The entire time. And that, I think that is the number one thing you have to do when you're fighting Lomachenko is that all of his stuff, his footwork is what gets the most praise and rightfully so. But his, the way that he uses his hands is probably his second best weapon. We didn't see any of those patented combinations that he usually throws, mm-hmm. right? Where he's throwing three, four, five, six punch combinations while like, you know, like kind of going into space. We didn't see that at all because right. Tiafima Lopez was jabbing away and yeah. making sure his hands were always occupied. Exactly. And I don't believe for one second everything he was saying about he didn't watch film. He watched film. I don't give a He fuck. watched film every day. He watched that film every clear. day of that camp because there's no way. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he knew where he was, he knew he knew how to neutralize all of Lomachenko's movement. Yeah, no, and you and don't. You is, don't just. I don't care. I don't care who it is. You could be Sugar Ray Leonard fused with Roy uh, Roy Jones fused with Floyd Mayweather. I don't give a fuck. You 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 had to watch film for that. But anyway, um, I guess the last last thing I'm gonna say is that Julie Letterman card was fucking. Terrible. Yeah, let's talk about these. These cards are bullshit, man. Okay. Um, I am not upset with the one sixteen, one twelve, and I can. I'm not upset really at the one seventeen, one eleven. I think that's a little wide, but I'm not like mad at. It. I can see it. I can see it. It's within the realm of possibility for me, but okay. But the one hundred nine, one yeah, one one nineteen, one hundred nine is, I I have no words for that. My thing is, at worst, this fight was seven five. I could see eight four. I could see eight four. I don't know. I guess for me, because remember, I didn't, I didn't. 
you kind of convinced me that the second round was a Lomachenko round. I didn't give that round to him. That makes sense. And I can see why people didn't, but I think it was because he landed a couple crosses, a couple good crosses, seemed to control the ring, and it was, I don't know. It, it could definitely go either way. It could definitely go either way. Yeah. But, but yeah. yeah. That was a, that was a good night. is bullshit. And I think this is actually better for the sport, right? In term, not, not the scoring. Fuck the scoring. Scoring's bullshit. But the Lopez winning and Loma going down and him going up and sort of moving the division along. This is what happens when you have, you know, impactful fights with impactful fighters is now the division can move, mm-hmm. right? There's all these things in play now. Right. People losing their O, like, and granted, Loma had already lost his O because, you know, the, at that first fight. But people, you know, having, being forced to fight is not a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. This is going to make Loma want to fight more. He's going to have to fight someone else. He's going to have to keep going. And if he wants to get back from this, this puts a target on Lopez's back because it's like, wow, this guy is really the best of the best. And so only good things happen when fighters who are this good fight each other. And I think that's like one of the key things about boxing that like I wish would change. I wish these kind of fights would happen more often. And that only happens with the culture changing around like losing. Because it's like losing is not always a bad thing. Someone has to lose. If you're fighting the best of the best, it's all right. Right, exactly. But, yeah, that's a conversation for another time. So that was the boxing side of things. Um, one of the beautiful things about last night was it was all on ESPN+, Plus, which I think, I don't know. I feel like they probably, I guess they definitely make more money on pay-per-views, but I guess in the long term, in terms of, like, watchability for the sport – the ability to like watch MMA and then uh, uh, boxing, you know, smooth, smooth transitions, et cetera, et cetera. I loved it. Like, what did you think of both of them being on ESPN plus? I really liked it. I liked it that the, I liked it a lot that the UFC, the UFC card ended first. So it's not like I had to like bring up two things, like one on my computer, one on my TV, you know, UFC card ended like nine 30 you get to catch the end of the boxing prelims and then you go straight to the main event. I like that a lot. I think it, it made it for, it made it for an easy watch. It was like a very smooth transition, you know? Um, yeah. I'm not mad at it. I think I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was just great to have everything all on stream, everything like stacked nicely, mm-hmm. great competitive fights on both, but yeah, moving to the, MMA side of things. The UFC card was pretty good. Um, you you watched the prelims, right? So you saw... I watched one. I, I only, the only one I caught was... Um, I can't pronounce his last name, but his first name is Garam. He's with All Stars in Sweden with Hamzat. And um, yeah. It was a dominating performance, right? It wasn't dominant per se. Okay. It was... A, I thought it was... I thought he won two rounds to one, for sure. Gotcha. Um, he had some very, very good striking... Uh, probably needs to work on his takedown defense a little bit because the guy was able to get him down. He wasn't able to keep him down for much. Like, he wasn't doing much down. on the ground, but he was able to get him on the ground. Um, and, you know, he's at lightweight, so a lot of guys can get you on the ground at lightweight. That is true. A lot of guys can get you on the ground at lightweight. Yeah. Um, other than that, I think uh, Khabib's cousin, Saeed Nurmagomedov, was very dominant. I think it was like a first-round TKO like yeah. in the fir- like the first 30 seconds or something. Yeah, I think so. You beat the crap out of a guy. So that's the only things we have to report from prelims. The main card was interesting. Um, that Andrade fight was good. 
Yeah. Um, so she moved up from flyweight, no, not flyweight, uh, strawweight. Strawweight, yeah. To flyweight to fight uh, Caitlin Shakagian, who was the number one contender. Um, and pretty and, handily defeated her. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, the one thing that I was thinking about was whether um, her strength could translate up. Because that was her, her big thing at strawweight was that she was stronger than everybody. Like, she was a threat to pick you up and throw you on the ground with anybody in the division. Um, and it looks like it has. Yeah, I was like, lo and behold, she picked up one of the big... And Caitlin Shagagian is one of the bigger flyweights. Oh, it's, yeah. And she picked her up and threw her on the ground and hit her with two knees to the body stopped her. Let us say, she had her flying knees in there and was uh, <laughs> was really just putting on a clinic. I think Andrade, you know... She could be fighting for the title very soon. I mean, yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, like, because she didn't take too much damage in that fight, and that was the number one contender, so, like, why not, right? Yeah. I think she has an interesting style for Valentina, not something that she's really faced before, outside of, like, Amanda Nunes. And, yeah, like, I, th- I think Shevchenko is going to have some difficulties. But, like, yeah. I, I don't know. I wouldn't say Andrade is, like, a shoo-in to win. But I would definitely say it's going to be a competitive fight. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure stylistically how she deals with the strength, uh, Shevchenko, that is, of Andrade, right? Because right. Shevchenko is a very good striker, obviously, you know, can, can hit you from anywhere. Um, w- wasn't her nickname like Bullet something? Who? I can't remember. Valentina Shevchenko? Yeah, was her Bullet, nickname. Yeah. yeah, Bullet. Like she, and that's a great way to describe her striking, like just, you know, very precise, accurate, piercing through. Andrade is kind of like a bulldozer, like in, in, in that sense, though. She's going she's gonna to bring it to you, and she's going to try and, like, not maul you, but, like, really run you over. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The other big fight on this card was uh, T-City versus um, Korean Zombie. And, man, you mean, what you a performance. You mean Brian Blessed Ortega? Oh, yes. Very much so, Brian Blessed Ortega. So, look, look a real quick recap of this fight. Um. T-City came in and did an amazing Max Holloway impersonation, which David will get to later. And just his level of striking has elevated so much. And his use of takedowns, just using them as a threat, and his, his, the way that his game plan was set up for Zombie was amazing. Zombie's a gamer. He definitely was in it the whole fight. He was definitely doing his best. But there was no question in anyone's mind that this was Brian Ortega's fight. And it was some beautiful striking and just so crisp and so accurate. This is going to be Volkanovsky's first challenge, I think, in terms of like a title, like a, you know, a title contender. And it's going to be a good one because it's, it is a very, like seemingly from this fight, a very similar style to Max, which we saw in the last fight gave Volk a lot of trouble. What did you get from this? Um, you know, I thought this was a completely different Brian Ortega than we saw two years ago. His striking has developed a lot, a lot, like you said. Um, he didn't really, I mean, I'm sure he's going to use his jujitsu, but he didn't really use a lot of his jujitsu. He got some takedowns. Um, but, you know, most of his work he was doing was on the feet, and he was just out box, He was outboxing Korean Zombie. He had him really, I forgot what round it was. He had him really hurt in one of those rounds where we both were like, oh, he might stop him. But then zombie being zombie, he just bounced right back up. Like, 
maniac. But there were so many times where we thought zombie should be done, right? <clears throat> there were so many moments in this fight where it looked like zombie was going to be out cold. And instead, he just gets back up and keeps going. Right. You know, like we were saying, we were watching it together. And we were, you know, a lesser man would have been stopped. Would have wilted. I think what's really interesting about T-City is, like, the way he used his takedowns, like, and didn't, didn't bother to finish them. He just sort of, like, used them to set things up, to keep the fight going, to make sure that Zombie was on his toes at all times. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if he's going to do the same thing against Volkanovsky, where he's just going to be like, look, man, I can take you down, and I might. So you better be ready. And that is what holds up your striking. I think, I think that's, what, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It should be interesting. Um, so you, you think he's next? I think so. I mean, who, do, who would you put next instead? I feel like they might sneak in Zabit. <laughs> Zabit hasn't fought in so long, and that's not how the UFC does things, right? Yeah, I feel like it's. I, I I would like to see Zabit, of course, but I feel like because Zabit is UFC is very much a what have you done for me lately kind of kind of organization, and because it's been a while, a good while since we've seen Zabit, and because this performance was so dominant and so exciting, I do wonder if Dana is gonna just be like, nope, we're taking next. Yeah, Zabit hasn't fought since Cater. Right. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long time. Oh, yeah, that's been a long time. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if uh I don't know if the beat has the the recency bias on, on his side. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, I think that's that's pretty much it for the fights this weekend. Yeah. It was good good it was a good weekend of fights for sure. Yeah. So I guess we can do some previews next. Yeah, let's do some quick previews of what's coming up. So on Thursday, apparently in Bellator, we have one of the fights of the year, I think, in you know Douglas Lima and Gegard Mousasi. Uh, just an absolute wonderful like chance for violence to occur. Yeah, and um, yeah, two Bellator. of the highest levels of people in Bellator. Period. Yeah, like, uh, Bellator, you need to step up your promotion, bro. Yeah, I, I haven't like, seen enough about this. Yeah. Like, I did not know it was coming Thursday. <laughs> Yeah, so Gegard Mousasi is about as high level of a Dutch kickboxer as you can get in any in any organization of mixed martial arts or kickboxing. And you know, Douglas, Douglas Lima is Douglas Lima, one of the best welterweights on the planet. And you know, he's going, he's trying to become double champ, which is that's like a interesting like, you know, you've seen it in the UFC a few times, but like Bellator, they like push that. Let's get double champs because you know Rory was welterweight champ and he fought Gegard for the middleweight belt. And you know, um, uh, Patricio Freer, yeah, Pitbull, yeah. yeah, but they're both Pitbull. Oh, yeah, that's but, yeah, but, yeah. I think it's Patricio. Um, he's their double champ at uh, featherweight and lightweight. And you know, Douglas even wants to join those ranks. It's gonna be a good fight, and this is gonna be a very, very violent fight. So I will definitely be tuning in, even though I didn't know about it till now. So please, please, Bellador, step up. We want to like your shit. Yeah. I think it's, it's going to be interesting because I really want to see what, what the size difference is. Because 
I believe at some point in his career, Gegard fought as high as light heavyweight. Um, and I think so. When yes. Rory stepped up to fight him in Bellator, he looked tiny compared to Gegard. So yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Rory, Rory McDonald looked really small comparatively. So that's that's a good one that's coming up. Another one, the good good one is coming up. Um, well. There's the big one. Let's, but before we get to the big one, uh, let's talk about One FC and their events that are coming up. So there's a lot. I think this is the first. Uh, this is like the first big event One is having. Like they they had some smaller ones, but this is like their 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 biggest one coming up. Their first like championship event. So this is Ang Lan Song versus Deritter. Um, this is on the October thirtieth. Friday uh, at 8.30 p.m. in Singapore. So I am very excited. Um, I think on this card also is Martin. Uh, Martin is their lightweight champ and is very, very good. They're both Ong, Ong and Martin are out of Henry Hoof's uh, Sanford MMA. And so this event. There's four I, title fights on this. Yeah, I'm about to say there's there's more there's more than that, but those are the two that I know of. This event is gonna be kind of important because for Ong, this is a big deal, right? So for Ong Lan Song, he is the double champ. And it's been a while since he's been back down at middleweight. And I think Deritter is probably his best challenge in a while. I don't think he's gonna have trouble with him, but I am also very biased. So we will see. I will say that Ong's weight cut has gone wonderfully. Um, right now, he's already pretty much on weight, it seems, uh, from his social media. And from the way he's talking, this, this won't be a problem at all. Yeah. Why don't you talk about the weight thing? Because that's special with 1FC. Yeah. So for 1FC, you can't cut a ridiculous amount of weight because they test you at the beginning of the year. They do a hydration test. And they're basically like, hey, this is your quote unquote like natural range of weights that you can be you can't like you know go ong's like a middleweight heavyweight he can't go all the way down to light like lightweight you know and and be like yeah i'm gonna cut to 155 because 1fc is just not gonna allow it it creates for more entertaining and exciting fights it also creates for safer fights and it creates for i in my opinion better matchups right because you get more equally sized people mm-hmm. And, and and thus it's more competitive. Yeah, and you know they also moved up the weight classes a little bit too. So like lightweight is one seventy, and yes. welterweight is one eighty five. So I believe middleweight is two hundred five. Two hundred five. So that's and, the light heavyweight. And light heavyweight is two twenty, two twenty, two twenty five, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, I'm actually this is one of the few. I'm relatively new to one FC, but this is one of the few fights where I've actually seen both of them extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be a really good fight. I think it's going to be mostly stand up. I um, think so. I don't think Ong's going to break out his jujitsu. And you know we're 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 gonna we're gonna call it a we're gonna call this a hometown fight. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm going with Ong uh, for sure. This is definitely a hometown fight for me. Um, and Martin Martin. He's very good. He, uh, he's very exciting. He's had a number of flying knee knockouts, so I'm very curious to see what his title fight brings as well. Um, and then, this being 1FC's biggest event in a while, 
the inside the matrix events in Singapore and Singapore does things really well. He would definitely worth tuning in. Um, I'm, I think they're going to have fans. I think so because I think Singapore has COVID under control. Yeah. Like I think and, they're in single digits of like new cases per day. Yeah. And I think that, that's like the last thing to talk about. This is in Singapore. So it's going to be like 7 a.m. Yeah. It's going to be early in the morning. So generally they do a pretty good job of letting you watch it, but it's going to be early in the morning, right. which sucks. But it will be on YouTube, which is exactly beautiful. so. I'm gonna. I I usually have his fights on at work while I'm working. It's hilarious, because um, I'll I'll just be like having it on one monitor, and so of course the last thing we need to talk about is arguably the biggest fight of the year in Khabib Gaethje. I'm gonna oh. go on a limb, as a big Khabib fan as I am, even though he's my Muslim brother, even though like everything everyone says Khabib's gonna win. I think I'm going to pick Gaethje. And the reason I'm going to pick Gaethje, and hear me out, is because I don't think, I don't, or rather, I don't know if Khabib during this quarantine time, not being at AKA and just being with all his homies, you know, in Dagestan, got the level of striker that he needed to train with. You know, I know Javier Mendez went over to Dubai and they're having camp there, but I just don't know who he has in his camp that can mimic Gaethje striking. Now you can always, of course, say there's no one in the world who can mimic Khabib's wrestling, and therefore, you know, who how how is Gaethje gonna get ready? I would say Kamara Usman's up there. That's probably a decent, you know, at least strength differential to have to hit like some kind of fast amount of way to to imitate Khabib. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I my heart wants Khabib to win. My heart says, yeah, he'll take him down second or third round you know, probably off one of his calf kicks, you know, pick up a, an ankle pick because you can, you can grab the ankle when they're kicking your calf. Um, it's a dangerous move, and I don't think it's recommended, but I, I assume Khabib would do something like that. Take him down, beat him up, go, go home. Now, my brain says Gaethje's going to get in there. He's going to strike, 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 jump out. Strike, 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 jump out. And that Khabib's going to try to take him down, but Gaethje's going to be able to anti-wrestle enough that he won't, he won't stop, right? That he won't be able to get Gaethje up against the cage. Now, I'll say this. The minute that Khabib has him on that cage, as everyone knows, the fight is over, like for that round. And so this is all dependent on the ability to, to ring generalship him, uh, him being Gaethje into the cage. But yeah, that's what I got. What about you? I'm conflicted because it's like, it's very hard to pick against Khabib. It is. It is. But on the other hand, it's like Gagey is probably the most awkward fighter he's probably gonna have to fight. And you know, so. it's Gagey's a competitor and Gagey's not one to, you know, just like he is a he's one of those like rare strong wills in like the sport where it's going to be I think it's going to be very hard for Khabib to get him down yeah um uh, he had, I don't guess he has some of the highest takedown defense in the sport I don't know what it actually is but I'm almost positive it's pretty high up there um and you know he has a lot of skill he's probably the most powerful guy that Khabib has fought like just raw power I think Connor has the accuracy. I think Connor's okay, okay, Connor's okay, striking okay. is more accurate 
I'm not saying it's not powerful, but but I, I understand what of, you're saying. Yeah. Gaethje is like, like a bulldozer. Raw, yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Raw, un, raw, unfiltered power. I think Gaethje's up there, and he also, you know, that leg attack is vicious, and that could he, change the fight. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like if someone's gonna beat Khabib, that someone should probably have Trevor Whitman in their corner. You know? Yeah. Like He's probably one of the best game planners in MMA. Exactly. And there's a lot of tape on him, right? And everyone has to lose eventually. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. I, Yeah. Yeah. We'll see, man. We'll see. Yeah. The co-main event is really important, too. So, Robert Whitaker and Jared yeah. Cannonier. Yes, because so. that determines who gets to fight Izzy next. Yeah. There and that's go. going to be exciting. Robert Whitaker is looking very motivated lately. That and, till fight was really good. Yeah, and Cannoneer's a beast, and he's on the roll right now. So we're gonna see. That's kind of that's a pick'em. I don't know who's gonna win that. Yeah, I think if it was just a pure like looking at skill for skill, I think Whitaker would be the favorite. But Cannoneer, man, he's kind of similar—not similar in terms of style, but similar in terms of that will to like yeah. Gaethje. You know, it's gonna be hard to break him. And he's a big dude. For 185. Yeah. yeah. He started at heavyweight. Exactly. He came so. down. Yeah. So for 185, he's, he's, he's pretty big. And most of these middleweights are not used to fighting people bigger than them. Right? Because they're, they're 185. So they walk around at 205. So it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting. I think that's it, right? Yeah. Unless you want anything else? Uh, not, that I, not that I can think of. I think we could save the tank uh Tank re- to tank preview for the next show. As that is not next week. Yeah, they moved it back a week. Yeah, that, yeah. that is two weeks from now. So, all right, y'all. So, yeah, you, you heard that here. We're, we'll talk about tank oh, oh, next week. I don't remember who he's fighting, but Sergey Libanez is fighting this week. Um, his okay. original opponent was, he had a visa issue, so he wasn't able to come. They got a replacement for him. Don't remember his name. I know he's undefeated. I know he's from Canada. And I've seen him fight one time, and he was okay. I don't think Sergey is going to have any trouble getting him out of there. Though. So that's my 30-second so, uh, preview of that fight. There you go, guys. Um, with that said, thank you all very much. It's been, a great, it's been a great weekend of fights. As usual, we're just two fans talking shit. Feel free to comment, subscribe, you know, all the, all the good shit. Argue with us on Twitter. Probably won't argue back, but, you know, it'll be nice to see it. Um, yeah, man. You got anything to say? Uh, not really. Oh, one, other, one last thing. Malik Hawkins is on that card, too. <laughs> so, you know, Baltimore stand up. And, yep. you know, uh, we'll see y'all next week. Peace and love. Sorry, I hit the wrong button.